Good morning. This is our June the 20th, Sunday. It's been about 10 days since our last podcast. This will be June the uh, 20th, 2021. And we're, we're here, podcast 38, program format, a little bit of a long talk, news and analysis. Our guests, the great saint, His Holiness John Paul II, on, on, uh, we're going to talk about a Nazi loudspeaker blaring the message, and His Holiness John Paul II stayed on point and said his lines. We'll talk about that. We're going to bring in Father Garagu again. Why some cold shoulder you? Why do they cold shoulder you when their love is not returned is the answer. We'll talk about that. St. John of the Cross on testing the spirit. And then we have a delightful doctor in the house. We're going to be rounding with Dr. Randy Engel. And uh, we have our patient, the Corpus Ecclesia, that's the Catholic Church, our diagnosis of difficult disease. It's a diagnosis of difficult disease that she diagnoses, and she's one of our national experts in that in the United States, ecclesiastical corruption. We're going to be talking with her about its manifestations, complications, and the cure. We hope to get to that, and uh, we're going to also be talking about concluding uh, in prayer so we've got a busy program today, so I'm going to start right off, and uh, I've said my prayer, and I hope you will say your prayers as you listen to this. Uh, descend upon us the Holy Spirit and guide us. We praise you and thank you for all good things, and we just ask you to come in power and help us as we communicate with one another. All right, let's start off with uh, something that we don't always, uh, our perspective here as this is the uh, Diocese of Lansing Watch that we don't really, uh, we're trying to pick up what's not talked about by the clergy. So first of all, there are violent lies. We don't realize that and uh, we don't uh, feel that the clergy understand that lies can be violent. We're going to pick that up, page 66. We'll come back to it. We're going to introduce it, page 66, in the, uh, the Witness to Hope. That's the biography of John Paul II. So keep in mind that lies are violent. The church is a servant of human dignity. That's the second point. I'm going to introduce them in these podcasts. I'm thinking of Teresa now. They'll be introduced, and then we'll flesh them out a little bit later on. Lies are violent. Church is a servant of human dignity. And then you, my friends, I want you to think about a man by the name of Tyranowski, T-Y-R-A-N-O-W-S-K-I. I believe he was a, a third-order Discalce Carmelite. It's just, he's discussed at page 61, a big influence in the life of a young man called Karl Botiwa. And it's said that Tyronowski Ty, Ty was a retail apostle par excellence, a retail apostle. That's what you are, Teresa. That's what you are, John. That's what you are, Gene. All our gang, you are retail apostles. So keep in mind that it was Tyronowski's most enduring contribution to Karl Botiwa's life uh, was to introduce the young student worker to St. John of the Cross, the 16th century Spanish reformer of the Carmelite order who was declared a doctor of the church, Catholicism's greatest acknowledgement of theological creativity. He did this in 1926. He was a tailor, and he must have sensed that the Spanish mystic's poetry would appeal to the young Wotiwa. So that's another thing. This is a layman. He's a tailor. He's working in the world, and he introduces to a young man Catholicism, mysticism, and he's a retail, what they call here, a retail apostle. And that's what you are. 
Think of the vision of the church that could be. You have so much freedom that the bishop and the clergy don't have. So much freedom. We'll talk about that. But in your, in your quest, uh, in your love affair with God, don't back down. Remember, there's so much to offer uh, and that you are responsible. And it's about human dignity. Now, we have violent lives. Okay, we've got that going on. <laughs> we have lobbies in the church. <clears throat> the clergy, church, clergy lobby of communists. There's the commie lobby of clergy. There's the homosexual lobby of the clergy. And now remember that John Paul II, this is at page 69, his priesthood began to loom larger as a way to live in resistance <clears throat> to the degradation of human dignity by brutal ideology. There it is again. We have somebody like as innocent, a low-info Catholic as uh, uh, Rafi saying, well, why do we have to remember this history? Why is That's too legalistic. He's been told lies that are violent, and they deprive him of so much of our Catholicism. And here you see there's brutal ideology. This is the context in which this life, this vocational life that John Paul II took, and why do we constantly go back to John of the Cross? Because John of the Cross is right there early on in this layman's life, who is not a weak layman. He's a part of the Christian faithful. He's not weak. He's not mediocre. And he transforms and he's ordained. And he became ordained. He was not weak and he was not mediocre. What does John of the Cross give us? The message here I want to be a takeaway for Teresa and John and others we work with. John of the Cross was in a monastery, and he said, if I'm living in a monastery full of devils, you don't leave. You do your duty. If I'm sitting at a meal, and there's a devil to the left of me and a devil to the right of me, you don't leave. You, you eat your meal, and you do your duty. That's the caramel brand that we ride for. So those of you who see so much evil in this bishop, this clergy, don't leave the church. Let's assume they're devils. Caramel. We ride for the caramel brand. We're going to do our duty, okay? We're going to do our duty. We're, we're not in danger. We are the danger to darkness. Our Father dispersed darkness. We are children of the kingdom of truth, okay? Watch how that develops in these podcasts. And you'll pick that up when we round with Randy Engel. Now, also, I want you to keep in mind <coughs> uh, that the clergy, the and, and Polish laity in Poland. We're talking about World War II, Nazi ideology, violent lies of, of uh, the Nazi ideology. We're getting violent lies from the commie clergy uh, lobby, violent lies from the, uh, the homosexual clergy lobby, that we'd like to be at the table and confront them with these lies. And uh, we want to lobby too. Violent clergy, brutal ideology that they put forward, Violent lies. So don't think that ideas go without violence. They do. They have violence. And so when the priests stand up there and say, well, I don't know why there's not more vocation. It's because of you, Father. It's because of the life that you failed to live. That's why. And we'll tell you all about what we've experienced in Windsor. And I'm sure that many of you ladies have experienced. You don't know quite how to respond to it. Not a problem. We're in the Lansing Diocese Watcher community, and we're going to open up a scriptorium. And, it's, and the scriptorium traditionally, uh, we'll define that later on. It's about rhetoric, and we'll give you arguments. We'll show you how to argue your point. But we have church identity and ministry. We're at about page 91 here. Another concept. 
there is the, the, the church was going to make clear that sanctity and vocational commitment were for everyone, not just for the clergy. That's how the Polish church responded to the, to the Nazi plague, the Nazi brutal ideology, the violent lies of the Nazis, okay? So keep in mind that it is everyone, everyone, and that we have an independent role in the church to perfect society. So I want you to know about that. Remember that the church had proven that it knew how in Poland during World War II, the Polish church knew. It had proven that it knew how to suffer and die. Its task now was to show that it knew how to live. That's with you. Everybody's just, you want to give up, you want to suffer, I'll die, I'll be a martyr. Met a young priest, uh, I'm going to be a martyr. Well, how do you know that that's what God wants? You know how to, you, you know how to live? You know I mean, I should say, you know how to suffer and die, Father? You want to be a martyr? What if God asks you not to do that? What does it profit your soul if this is not the time to be a martyr? Remember, this is the caramel brand we ride for. You do the will of God. It does not profit you if God says stand still and you run. If he says walk and you run. If he says run and you stand still, that doesn't profit you. Remember the Polish church. It proved it knew how to suffer. It proved it could die. Its task now was to show that it knew how to live. Clergy, it's your task now to know, show how you can live, not suffer and die, but live and sanctify these mediocre men, these weak men who are Christian faith, who got ordained and are now causing a lot of problems in the church. Okay, now that was what I wanted to introduce you to and leading up to this concept of His Holiness John Paul II, the great saint. The Nazis, he was in an underground seminary, he was in an underground theater, and they would, they would have plays and they would talk about great ideas and great concepts. So the Nazi loudspeakers would come and blare out through Warsaw or all the, the, the cities where these underground seminaries were, where these underground cultural resistance was going on with plays. And they were so loud, they would, blo- they would drown out the message of conversation you're having in your private homes through the walls. So there was a play going on. And John Paul II at the time, Karl Votiwa, a layman, was speaking. He had his lines to speak. Now, when the loudspeakers would come around and try to drown out messages, most people would pause and let the loudspeaker pass. It was mobile. It's on a truck driving through the neighborhoods, pass and then talk. Not John Paul II. He stayed on point and, and said his lines. That Nazi loudspeaker was drowning out his message. Some would say that was not his only message. The message was the resolve in his heart. And he continued to say his lines regardless of what people heard. I say that to you, Bishop Barron. There's brutal ideology, violent lies, And at that time, the polls, the public polls were drowning out the message that John Paul II, his lines were being drowned out. He didn't ask the polls, can you listen to me? Can you hear me? No, he didn't. He was true. He stayed true to his lines. So I say to you, the resistance community, I say to you, to all the watchers, it it doesn't matter that the bishop and the clergy have loudspeakers that drowned out your message. You stay true to your lines. You stay true to your lines. Let me ask you, clergy. Let me ask you, watcher community and bishop. 
Do you know who the bishop was at the time that the little flower, Therese, was a saint, entered into Carmel in, in that part of, of, of France? I don't. I don't remember the guy. I don't know if he's in heaven or hell. But I do know that the little flower is in heaven. Do you, clergy, seminarians, watcher community, did you know that the little flower, had she been healed by a miracle, her mission was to go to Hanoi, that was a French colony, uh, uh, Southeast uh, Asia, Vietnam, that was a colony. She's going to go to Hanoi. The nuns had a little place up there. Do you know, this is, listen up, seminarians, listen up, clergy, listen up, bishop. She died. She didn't go to Hanoi. You know that, that in 1954, the nuns up in Hanoi in the Carmelite had to flee to Saigon because of the red, the communists were taking over. You know what they did? You know what the Poles said? They were popular. They took over. Later, the, as they became in control, the Poles took away the pensions of the priests. They had universities like Notre Dame. Notre Dame became a public institution. So you clergy who sit there and are very secure in your pensions, don't be. Talk to the Vietnamese clergy. They, they, were, they were secure. Their pensions were gone. Their properties were confiscated. That culture out there, if you're not engaging in it and you're not Christianizing it and you are not trying to, to evangelize, you're at risk. If you've lost the faith, that doesn't mean you're going to be secure in your pension. So you watch your communities, you drill that, you remind them of what happened that, and with the polls. The polls can change, Bishop Barron, and you remind them what happens when those polls change, that they're not, these clergy who want to retire and, and not engage in the constant cultural war going on, they are at risk. Every morning they wake up, I want them to have anxiety. You give them anxiety. You tell them, you don't do your duty. You're not going to be able to rely on that pension that you got. You're not going to be able to walk away from, from your ordination. You need to fight. And if you can't fight, if you can't clean your room, you can't tell us the truth, then at least don't interfere with us who can't. All right? So that is the message, and I will develop that later. I just want to introduce it to you today about John Paul II. We've got another message. we got a... Uh, this is Sunday morning. I got several commitments here, so I'm trying to do the best I can with what I've got, and I don't have a lot. And you know, I'm a C student, C minus student. All right, uh, we got John Paul, Father Garagu. Oh, this is great for your parish priests. <coughs> These are the conversations that the bishop can't have. He might want to have them. You don't know, and you know, your bishop could be a devil. What do you care? You're riding with the Carmel brand. Do your duty. The loudspeakers out there, the lobby of the communist clergy lobby are going to be trying to gain the attention of, of the low info Catholics. What do you care? Maintain your message. Stay on point with John Paul II. Here's one of the points that we want to talk about. Bishop, we got to ask you about our parish priest. Love, and this is Garrigou Lagrange, page 187. And uh, I, I doubt that most of the clergy that you are going to come in contact with could ever even qualify because of their intellect, was not strong enough to sit in the classes of uh, Garrigou Lagrange. Okay, so I say that because these are the clergy that are saying to my, my tribe, you're too stupid to have an opinion on that. You're not smart enough. Well, let's take a look at Garrigou Lagrange. 
your guys probably couldn't get into his class because they were not smart enough. Yeah, comp competition, intellectual competition. So think about this. Love of conformity to the divine will. The signs of imperfect love. This is my parish priest over and over, and I hope it's not yours, but this is the experience that we've had. Ask Teresa. Ask John. This is our experience. Let me begin, page 187. Having spoken of the spirit of faith and, tr and of trust of God in God, we must consider what the progress of charity should be in the illuminative way, that the soul may pass from the mercenary, a mercenary or interested love of the imperfect to the perfect charity, to perfect charity. Consequently, we shall discuss the signs of imperfect love, then, shows, then those of the progress of charity the relations of charity with our natural dispositions and its progressive conformity to the divine will. Why are we talking about this, guys? Because they ordained weak and mediocre Christian faithful. You get, you have a weak and mediocre, you got a one-legged Christian faithful man and you ordain him, he's still one-legged. Got that? Intellectually, spiritually, if he's weak and mediocre, we got weak and mediocre men that don't know this material. They don't want to talk about it, but they would rather talk about their family, their experience, not about Christ, not about the owner's manual, about the anatomy of the soul. They can't have those conversations. It's like an, a, a linguistic community. They don't know how to do it, so they just want to talk about burn barrels, phenomena like that, tongues, and all that stuff. But talk about doctrine. They destroy doctrine, Bishop. Talk about community. They destroy community that does not consistent with them. This is about the destruction of the next paragraph, the destruction of doctrine and the destruction of community that doesn't conform to their image. The wrong thing, guys, wrong thing. Signs of imperfect love. St. Catherine of Siena indicates clearly in her dialogue the signs of mercenary love. We quoted this passage earlier in this work. The saint says in substance that love remains imperfect in the just man when, in the service of God, he is still too much attached to his own interests, when he still seeks himself and has an excessive desire of his own satisfaction. The same imperfection is then found in his love of his neighbor. In his loving his neighbor, he seeks self, takes complacency, for example, in his own natural activity in which he, there is rash haste, egotistical eagerness, occasionally followed by coldness when his love is not returned, and he believes that he sees in others ingratitude, a failure to appreciate the benefits he bestows on them. In the same chapter, the saint points out that the imperfection of this love of God and souls is clearly shown by the fact that as soon as we are deprived of the consolation that we had in God, this love no longer suffices us and can no longer subsist. It languishes and often grows colder and colder as God withdraws his spiritual consolations and sends us struggles and contradictions in order to exercise us in virtue. Nevertheless, he acts thus only to put our inordinate self-love to death and to cause the charity that we received at baptism to grow. This charity should become a living flame of love and notably elevate all our legitimate affections. That's exactly what we've experienced in our parish. <clears throat> the cold shoulder. The, they see in you the ingratitude. Here we have a parish priest. 
What would you think about this case study? The parish priest comes in and fires all the, all the staff of the former priest. Then Cherry picks his own staff. Then he's got babies. His baby's mama he hires, gives her a predominant role. I mean, look, and then he begins to cherry pick who he's going to exclude. And if you don't appreciate him, you're history. You're gone. Now let's talk about testing that spirit. We've got a, who's in the house today? John of the Cross. We got him available. Bishop, listen to this guy. Listen to this guy. Ask your bishop clergy. Few of them have ever read John of the Cross from cover to cover. Okay? And remember, one of the reasons is that they can't understand him. Look, if you're a weak and mediocre Christian faithful, you know, you're not going to know this stuff. And remember, too, what the church teaches. Virtue is rare. It is not desired by many. Priest, do you desire virtue? Bishop, do you desire virtue? You and the watcher community, do you desire virtue? It's rare and not desired by many, says Thomas Aquinas. Let's continue. This is how you test the spirits of your parish priests or your bishop or their staff. Censure an opinion on the spirit and attitude in prayer of a discussed Carmelite nun, probably written in Sejovia between 19, 1588 and 89. And uh, this is page 683. The Institute of Carmelite Studies collected works of John of the Cross, 1979, uh, 1979 book, a publication. In the effective attitude this religious bears, he, first of all, they presented John of the Cross a case study, wanting to know, hey, is this nun whacked out or is she really holy? So when you read this, think about your parish priest. Think about the religious. Think about the staff. Are they whacked or are they holy? In the effective attitude, because why? Because, Bishop, we're experiencing the death of community. We're experiencing the corruption of community. We're experiencing the death of doctrine. These people who have low info Catholicism. You got a beautiful soul like Raffi telling us it's legalistic. I thought Jesus Christ, Bishop, came and not only taught, but he commanded. The command is considered law. I thought we have a combination of both in the body of Jesus Christ. That's Catholicism. The, the, what's taught and the commands. That's the low info Catholic. In, let's go, continue. In the effective attitude this religious bears, there appears to be five defects which reveal that hers is not a good spirit. First, it seems that she has within her spirit a great attachment to possessing things, whereas the good spirit is always very detached in its appetites. Second, she is too secure in her spirit and has little fear of being inwardly mistaken. Where this fear, where this fear is absent, the Spirit of God is never present to preserve the soul from harm, as the wise man says, Proverbs 15.27. Third, it seems she has the desire to persuade others that her experiences are good and manifold. A person with a genuine spirit does not desire to do this, but on the contrary desires that his experiences be considered of little value and despised. And this he does himself. Fourth, and this is the main fault, the effects of humility do not appear in her attitude. When favors are genuine, as she says here, that hers are, they are ordinarily never communicated to a soul without first undoing and annihilating it in the inner abasement of humility. And if these favors had produced this effect in her, she would not have failed to say something about it here, and even a great deal. For the first thing, 
the soul esteems and is eager to speak of are the effects of humility, which certainly are so strong that they cannot be disguised. For although they, are, they, they may not be so noticeable in all the apprehensions of God, still these apprehensions which she here calls union are never present without them. Proverbs 18.12, Psalm 118.71. Fifth, the style and language she uses doesn't seem to come from the Spirit. She claims for the good Spirit itself teaches a simpler, for the good Spirit itself teaches a simpler style, one without the affection or exaggeration she uses. And all this about what she said to God and God said to her seems to be nonsense. I would advise that she should not command or allow her that they should not command or allow her to write anything about this, and that her confessor should not show willingness to hear of it, other than to hold it in little esteem and contradict it. Let them try her in the practice of sheer virtue, especially in self-contempt, humility, and obedience, and by the sound of the metal, when tapped, the quality of, the, of soul caused by so many favors will show itself, and the trials must be good ones, for there is no devil that will not suffer something for his honor. We'll, we'll, we'll dig deeper into that. There's a lot to unbundle and uh, take a look in that. So think about this. That there are, there are maps of knowledge. There's, it's presumed you know certain things when, you, when, when you're reading this. This was written in, in the 1500s. So uh, like levels of being. That's not on your map. Your priests don't teach that. The weak and mediocre men who were ordained, they don't know about levels of being. That's implied in this map. of You're reading this, the map of knowledge that John of the Cross, when he's writing this, he's assuming that his reader, his audience, knows this, levels of being. There's another thing that he assumes that the, that the reader knows, that what humility is. There's a corruption. There's vile lies about what humility is. There's good, the, your clergy, your weak and mediocre clergy, are going to tell you that humility is listen to them, pay, pray, and obey. Humility is the submission to truth. What is truth? It's Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's power, wisdom, and love. Power is attributed to the Father. Wisdom is Jesus Christ. Love, charity is with the Holy Spirit. When they're talking about humility here, they're talking about the, the in Carmel, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena. You Google that. Truth, the definition of truth. The nuns are to keep that alive in their convents through their contemplation and share with you constantly the value of humility. Ultimately, humility defined as submission to the truth. Clergy, how many of you are submit, submit to the truth and tell your bishop, hey, there are vile, there are violent lies produced by the commie clergy lobby. There are violent lies produced by the uh, 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 clergy let me say the lies are violent produced by the clergy lobby that are the homosexuals. Do you confront the homosexual clergy lobby? Do you, you, they can have a lobby. We're not saying that they can't exist, but do you challenge the truth and ask them to submit to the truth? Which one of you amongst you in the watcher community or clergy or bishops have said to the homosexual clergy lobby, you must be humble. That means submit to the truth. How about Ralph Martin? In our seminary here, the uh, our, in our diocese, ask him, hey, Ralph, how what is humility in the mind of the Discalced Carmelite? 
What is it to be? How do I be? What is the perfection of humility? Submission to truth? What about Al Cresta? Submission to truth? How did you guys submit to the truth about Egan? There was no public interest there. Is that true? Well, could you come and visit us in the argumentarium? Could you come on our show? We've got some people that want to ask you some questions, uh, Al Cresta. And Ralph, I know you take naps. We're going to help you out. We're going to say some things that you would say had you not been napping. And I, I, wanna, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to suggest because you're napping. I think that he would say, humility is, in the mind of Teresa Vavla and John of the Cross, as used here, submission to truth. Okay? All right. We got a few minutes left, and we're going to go right over to our going to round. Rounding is when you're a doctor. Uh, you're, you're, I'm treating you as medical students. You're learning the anatomy of the corpus ecclesia, the body. And you're going to be rounding in the hospital with who other? Dr. Randy Engels. She's talking about ecclesial corruption and the right of sodomy, homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church, volume four. And we're writing and we're in an area that talks about wolves, not shepherds. So we want to know how to diagnose and tell a wolf from a shepherd. Bishop, can you tell me how to diagnose that? Bishop Barron, how, what do the polls say about that? Here's your, from the, I'll, I'm getting ahead of myself in the argumentarium, but let me just, playing hardball, Randy Engels, 825. Playing hardball in Milwaukee. It can be said of Archbishop Weakland that he never met a clerical sex abuser he didn't like. In April 2002, when the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel began an extended series on clerical sex abuse in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, District Attorney E. Michael McCann said his office was flooded with calls from victims, many of whom were molested by priests who were still being recycled from parish to parish. According to a writer-researcher Robert A. Sunginus, out of 36 priests who were named as child molesters in the Archdiocese, 21 of them are still in Milwaukee area, and six of those have active assignments. Not one of the 36 has ever been so much as questioned, and no parishioners except the victims knew the names of these priests. What about low info Catholics? You still think there's no low info Catholics out there? I'll continue. While the Archdiocese Diocesan Public Relations Department touted Weekland's model program for handling clerical sex offenders, the Archbishop was shuffling offenders from parish to parish. Now, the question I have for you, Carmelite priest at Holy Hill, Wisconsin, did he ever visit there? What was your experience a week at, at Holy Hill? There by Milwaukee. Retreat grounds. Let me continue. Uh, how about Father Ed out of Ann Arbor? Father Ed, you, you've been spent some time with the Carmelites in Wisconsin. Tell us what you know. Submission to truth, Father Ed. Let's continue. A well-documented case in point was that of Father William Effinger, whose victim number, victims number over 150, mainly, mainly boys, but also some young girls. In 1993, a judge ordered the opening of, here, of hereto-sealed court records of the case, and Weakland was deposed in connection with a lawsuit brought by nine of Effinger's victims. All right, we're going to continue on, but I wanted to let you know we're rounding with her. And she is bringing up the first thing she does is she's submitting to the she's she's expressing her humility. Okay, when you have corruption, ecclesial corruption, <coughs> you're going to get people. Uh, I, I'm going to I've known a man by the name of Rafi. What that's in the past. Why do we have to talk about that? Because we submit to the truth. You know, 
let, let's talk about polls in the past, Rafi. Let me respond to that. And you can come on the show, and I'd like to talk to you in person on that. There was an early poll, and Bishop Barron, I use polls because Bishop Barron loves the polls. He's out there. You can Google him on YouTube. The polls tell us the youth are not leaving the church because of the past scandals. The implications, past scandals don't count. Well, Bishop Barron, there's a couple of polls. We got our polls, too. But let's look. There was a poll in Holy Scripture. The last time I looked, unless uh, your your Bible's less pages than mine, there was a poll that there was a man that went to the public and said they polled him. Who do I give you, Barabbas or Christ? The poll said, poll said, Barabbas. Bishop Beard, what, what, what did they do? What did the leaders do? They gave him Barabbas. Who asked him for Barabbas? Who asked for the polls? It was the religious leaders, Bishop Barron. And then they then asked the polls, what do we do with Jesus Christ? Bishop Barron, could you tell me in your own words, what did the polls say? What did the public say about what they wanted done with Jesus Christ? Now, that's, let me get back. Let me take a prince. I'm not going to answer that. You let your bishop answer that. Say, Bishop, can you tell me, you read the Bible, didn't you? What do the polls say? Because I need to think about that for a minute. You know, Bishop, you're allowed to ask questions you know the answer to. Our father did in Genesis, said to Adam and Eve, where are you? He knew where they were. Why are you hiding? Who told you you were nude? He knew all the answers. You can ask questions you know the answers to. Let's go to the argumentorium because we're getting requests on how to walk it and talk it with your bishop. We want to introduce you to that concept. Start off with the concept to your bishop, which is uh, one that you're, you can accept, which was on the map of knowledge in the 1500s. Bishops and diocesan clergy are to cure souls. Cure them from what? Sin. The religious, non-diocesan priests, the religious are to sit there and they are, to, they, they, they are to share the fruits of their contemplation, their fruits of prayer with you. Randy Engels is taking us through the battlefield hospital of the church and showing us the, this is what church corruption looks like. So what do we have people say? Well, let's forget about it. It's ancient history. Well, how, how, what kind of doctor would say that I don't want to know your history, patient? I, I would walk away from a doctor like that. That's why people are leaving maybe Bishop Barron. Don't walk away from the church. This is, this is we're not going to have a schism. We're, this is not the end of the world. This is the beginning of the end of the old school. The, peop, the weak and the mediocre are being identified. And uh, you commie clergy, let's put the weak and, and weak and mediocre clergy in re-education camps. You guys like to re-educate everybody. They like to open up people's minds and move them on the map of knowledge just to close their mind. So keep that in mind. We'll help you walk it and talk it. We're going to be developing a website. We're getting too many requests. Uh, we're just doing the best we can. We've got a podcast. We're teaching people how to podcast things. This is, the, this is a great time to live, great time to be a saint. Remember, there's no excuse not to work with your bishop, even if he's a devil. Do your duty. You, you can still put him in prison. You can put the clergy in prison. This is not a weak approach, okay, guys? but you want to sanctify them. You want them to be holy. Why would you leave the Catholic Church when you can stay in the church and divert your money to Peking man in Asia and tell the bishop, hey, bishop, and, and torment him with those words? You know, our father 
gave the first, the canon lawyers will tell you, the first ecclesial court, the first trial was Adam and Eve with our fathers saying, where are you? He gave them a chance to talk. He gave them a voice. Ask the bishop hard questions. Bishop, where are you? Why are you, are you lethargic? Why are you silent? Are you taking a nap like Ralph? What's going on here? Those are some questions to ask. All right, and then we'll bet we're going to perfect this. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, take care of us. We, we, uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, bless us. Joseph, protect us. You protect Carmel. And we want to learn more about the power that, that, that is in uh, a sanctified man, uh, the power that's in saints. The, uh, and let me tell you, the, we'll cheat. A holy person in the upper mansions is the danger. The devils flee from them. That's your Catholicism. Weak men, mediocre men that can't crack the book of John of the Cross, that don't understand a lick of, of theology because they got a shortened uh, education. Do you think that all your priests, ask your priest, ask your bishop, bishop, do anybody get like lifetime experiences? So instead of four years, uh, they come in from, say, uh, a different religion and you, you give them some credit. We'd like to know that, bishop. That's a fair question. My clergy goes to seminary for three years. Everybody else does five years. Why did he do three years? Got lifetime experience. Well, hell, everybody else. I can do that in China. I can even shrink my seminary time to 12 months if I drop money. Is that okay? Think about that. Amen.